Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At home, we got a little old radio on the porch. Whenever it won't work, Pa just spits in the back of it and walks it a good and it works every time. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show. Hey, hey y'all, she's a worker. She's a worker. And welcome to this Throwback Thursday episode, podcast number 1,347. It's on August 24th, if you're listening the day it is uploaded. Right next to me is... Jimmy, I got one name. Get it. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Uh, that that that's my theme song, and right next to me is a person who's really good, and that is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. And I have to uh, do a little uh, warning here. You know, not a an advisory, just a little warning, a little alert. If you hear some noises in the background that are kind of strange, it is not Kimmy who's making the noises. It's the adoptee, the new fur kid. He's here with his big brother, and well, the big brother is just uh, he's taking a big dog nap on the dog bed in the studio, but the other one, the adoptee, is running amok. So you might hear him in the background uh, either slurping, talking. Slurping some water out of the bucket. Yes. Or talking as he's trying to right now, I think. and Or playing the drums. Uh, actually, his tail uh, uh, likes to uh, you know, carry a beat on certain things. So, yeah. or, or maybe eat some food like he's doing right now. Who knows? So that might be going on. It's the way this show is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, inc- we include the fur kids in the Riley and Kimmy show. Kimmy, uh, are you getting all rested up? Because, well, in less than a month, as a good friend of mine pointed out, it's like two weeks away. Uh, we're going to be spending three days somewhere. Yeah. And it's over my birthday period. That's right. My birthday will be occurring during this event. So you can give me an early birthday present or a birthday present just by showing up at Space Coast Comic Con. That's happening September 8th through the 10th in Cocoa, Florida. We would love to see you there. Now, that's going to be at the Space Coast Convention Center in Cocoa, Florida. We would, and lots of stuff going on. It's growing, and um, they're going to keep you busy. Yes, this is a really nice three-day convention, mm-hmm. and there's something going on all day long. There are panels that are being held, There are, and it's various types of panels, not just one subject matter, not just comic books. It's other things that go on. And there's great people there. There's all kinds of creative types that you can talk to about all kinds of things. Uh, great cosplay going on. And vendors who will have the collection type stuff that you're looking for. That's right. And there will also be some celebrities there, like notable artist John Beatty, known for his work with DC and Marvel. You might know him from Marvel with uh, The Punisher, Captain America, or Marvel Secret Wars. DC, oh, how about Batman? Yes, spent a long time on Batman. And if I had to choose what John to draw, it'd be be a tough 
Uh, he, he can draw anything from the DC Universe or Marvel. But, uh, you know, that Captain America, his is, is precious. So is the Punisher. But I'm a big Batman fan. And that Batman is, by John Beatty, is great. Mm -hmm. So th that'd be something to, you know, possibly get from John if he is sketching. And he will be signing books, by the way, too. So bring your John Beatty books to Space Coast Comic Con. That's happening September 8th through the 10th. And you can find out more just by going right to their Facebook page. They keep it updated all the time. And you can find links right on our website. And also, you can find ways to book the Riley and Kimmy show, just like Space Coast Comic Con did. We're available for your upcoming events. They don't have to be uh, pop culture based. You might have that brand new store, that brand new restaurant, whatever you would like us to be part of. We are there for you to help with your marketing needs. Or if you have an animal event or pet event in Florida, we are available to promote and help with that. And you can find out how on our event page. And you can find our event page right on our website. What is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com RileyandKimmy.com The Riley and Kimmy Show. Oh, that's a big question on Throwback Thursday. Does Kimmy want to go back in time and play, well, some nerd and pop culture trivia? How yeah. do you feel about that, Kimmy? Would you like to play today? Let's do. All right, here we go. Back in time. to go back in time with some nerd and pop culture trivia. Now, this is the first time you're checking out the Riley and Kimmy show. Thank you for selecting us, and we hope you come back. We have a brand new show available every single day. You heard right. Tell your friends you found a place that offers pop culture talk every single day. Archived episodes are available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. This includes celebrity interviews, also videos. We have nerd news, links, and so much more, including photos and things like that. That's at RileyAndKimmy.com, including our social media links. Follow us, like us, and we'll do the same right back with you. Now, the timeline has been adjusted for this pop culture trivia exercise for Kimmy. And you can help Kimmy get answers right by shouting at whatever listening device you have the Riley and Kimmy show playing on right now. It could be anything because... We are mobile. We are global. You can take us anywhere on planet Earth. That's right, on any type of computing device like a smartphone, smartwatch, smart glasses, laptop, desktop, tablet, or whatever. You can be listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on. So shout out those answers. We believe in time travel answers. That's right, Kimmy believes a temporal portal opens up and the answers come right out. I think she's a little crazy, but she says it works. It is a Thursday, August 24th, and here we go, Kimmy. Very first question we have for you is in a category that you just love so much. Technology, Kimmy. Mm. Yes, technology. Okay. The year is 19-something, Kimmy. Microsoft Windows 95 went on sale what year? 95. Wow, so you're on a roll. You uh, Plus, I was testing to see if she was paying attention. Mm. Yes, you are paying attention. That's good. It was on this date, Kimmy. The first potato chip is prepared by a chef at Moon's Lake House near Saratoga Springs, New York. 
Now, this is a popular legend. They say he invented it, even though there are earlier recipes that exist. He at least is the one who is credited. Give me the year the first potato chip, the first potato chip is prepared, or it's actually chips, within 25 years. When does this happen? Um, 1918. The very first potato chip is prepared 1853 oh okay i've tasted some in the past that well it's like they were made in 1853 <laughs> how about those green chips would you eat those green chips or would you avoid the green potato chip green yeah or did you think that when you open up like a bag, oh. a bag did you think nah, that, i didn't eat those did, did you think that was going to maybe kill you did, was did you did you have that i just avoided it did you think it was you know dangerous toxic or anything as a kid no i just nobody told you that no. Well, and that was a that was a myth that went around certain uh, certain playgrounds over the years. Oh. Hey, avoid that green one. May not uh, may not uh, come back if you take that one. Okay, the year is 1847. Charlotte Bronte finishes the manuscript of a certain book, Kimmy, that would be made into film. It would be a play. It would be made into films, even a television production. Tell me the name of the movie. Then you have the book that she wrote. Here is your audio clue. Orson Welles starred in it. Here's your audio clue. Let's make the most of what time has left us. Let us sit here in peace. Even though we should be destined never to sit here again. Sometimes I have a queer feeling with regard to you, Jane. Especially when you're near me as now. It's as if I had a string somewhere under my left rib, tightly and inextricably knotted to a similar string situated in a corresponding corner of your little frame. And if we should have to be parted, that cord of communion would be snapped. I have a nervous notion I should take to bleeding inwardly. For you, you'd forget me. Kimmy, have you forgotten the name of that movie, that book? Can you tell me what it is? Jane Eyre. That's right. Jane Eyre, finished today by Charlotte Bronte, and eventually Orson Welles would star in that film. And I like that version of Jane mm-hmm. Eyre with Welles. Me too. Yeah, it's great. It, it, it's actually eerie, certain things that he did with it, too. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty pretty remarkable. Moving back to the questions, Kimmy, it was on this date, 1869, a patent for the waffle iron was given. And have you ever used one of those? Um, Not me personally. I've seen one used. Did they have one in your household mm-hmm. growing up as a kid? They yep. used that thing? Mm-hmm. Was it a monster? Big old thing? Yeah. It was on this date. The year is 1891. This person, well, applies for a patent for the kinescope that, and also the kinograph. That is a basically movie projector, movie type system tell me the name of the inventor he seemed to have invented everything towards the latter part of the 19th century thomas edison that's correct it's an edison 1891 the year is 1912 a four pound limit was set for parcels sent through the united states postal service that's right uh four pounds was the limit hmm. what would you do kimmy 
I don't know. Pounds. I don't you know, have... those letters that you send, like Fred Flintstone, you know, you, you couldn't send them <laughs> you know, on those tablets. You'd be... Right. Uh, uh, what would Fred and Barney do, too? I don't know. I don't know. Four pound limit? What were they thinking? It was on this date, 1932. She became the first woman to fly across the United States nonstop. The trip from Los Angeles, California to New Jersey took about 19 hours. Hmm. 19 hours, Kimmy. Who is the pilot? Amelia Earhart. Just think about that, Kimmy. 19 hours to fly from Los Angeles, California to New Jersey. That's right about the time, especially the way you drive, and Kimmy drives quite fast, from your hometown to the Batcave. Mm. And she flew across the country nonstop. Wow. And you can't drive nonstop. No. No. Yeah. Okay. The year is 1978. This musician, this performer, this singer, Bruce Springsteen, appears on the cover of a certain music magazine, Kimmy. Can you tell me the name of the magazine he appears on in 1978? Rolling Stone. On the cover of the Rolling Stone. On the cover of the Rolling Stone. Gonna see my picture on the cover. Gonna buy five copies for my mother. And who had that as a hit, Kimmy? I couldn't tell you. It's Dr. Hook who had that. Yes. The year is 1979. This person releases this song. It is his first U.S. hit. Tell me the name of the song. Identify the song. I can't give you the title. You can't tell me it's this? Who had that as his first hit? Prince. Do you own that? Do you have that on vinyl or MP3 or mm. CD or, or cassette tape or something? I don't think I do. All right. The year is 1976. This actress... At the age of 59, divorces for her sixth time. Yes, divorces her sixth husband, a toy inventor, Jack Ryan. He's 10 years younger than her. This is after one year of marriage. Here is your audio clue from a few years later, Kimmy. She, well, she'd been divorced again. See if you can identify who she is as she discusses her marriages, her divorces, and whatnot. Married eight times. The other one, I married for one day and I divorced him. I never, not divorced him, just threw him out. <laughs> Much less than most of my girlfriends. I, I just married them. No, I, I did not sleep with Frank Sinatra. Who is that, Kimmy? Zsa Zsa Gabor. Yes, if you ever want to see a bizarre interview, it's actually the interviewer is doing a great job with the subject matter. That is Phil Donahue. He interviewed her where he actually talks about, well, her book. And she talks about having, well, relations with people, including Sean Connery and things like that. And it's it's rather interesting, actually. That's Zsa Zsa. Kimmy got it right. It was on the state in 1976. She, she divorced uh, number six. 
1981, this person was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison for the murder of John Lennon. Who is it? Oh, that was Mark David Chapman. That's right, Kimmy. The year is 1989. Pete Rose, the manager of what team is banned from baseball for life because he's accused of gambling on baseball? The Cincinnati Reds. You're right. The year is 1989. Something happens in space. B G E R. Feature. V-O-I-A-G-E-R. Voyager. And 1989, the U.S. space probe Voyager 2 sends back photographs of Neptune. 1990, it was ruled by a judge in Reno, Nevada, that the band Judas Priest was not responsible for the suicides of two youths that had listened to the band's music. The year is 1999, Kimmy. This person's self-titled debut album was released... Here is a single from that album. You tell me the recording artist. You can tell me the name of the album. Here is your clue. I'm a genie in a bottle. You gotta rub me the right way. If you wanna be with me, I can make your wish come true. Who is that? Christina Aguilera. That's correct. Now that song, Genie in a Bottle, from that self-titled album, was it a number one hit or not? I would say yes. Yes, it was a number one hit across uh, multiple uh, charts. Number one in the Hot 100, Adult Top 40, and Mainstream Top 40 as well, and U.S. Rhythmic Billboard charts as well. Number one all across the board. So on this date, Kimmy, in 2006, this planet was reclassified as a dwarf planet by the International Astronomical Union, also known as the IAU. Can you tell me the name of that planet? Pluto. That's right. Pluto's a planet. It's a planet. Yeah. It's a planet. Staying in space. 2016, astronomers announced discovery of an Earth-like planet named Proxima B orbiting the star Proxima Centauri. Get your spaceship ready. Celebrity and notable birthday time. Preston Foster, born on this date, 1901, died 1970 at the age of 69. An American actor of stage, film, radio, and television. His career spanned nearly four decades. Next person, Kimmy, born 1912, died 2000 at the age of 88. His name is Derwood Kirby. Have you ever heard that name, Derwood Kirby? Sounds familiar. It should, and it will. We'll get to that. He was an American television host and announcer, best remembered for the Gary Moore show in the 1950s and Candid Camera, which he co-hosted with Alan Funt from 1961 to 1966. But you don't know him for that. He also recorded something that's extremely obscure. 1963, he recorded Crime Doesn't Pay. Now this is a story often been told, the characters knew, the story is old, a young man in love, a girl who wants things like money and diamonds and bracelets and rings, time is about midnight, there's no moon above, one soul on the street, this young man in love. A jewelry store window with gems sparkling bright, with diamonds and rubies that light up the night. A beautiful bracelet that catches his eye, but he has no money 
this bracelet to buy. The store isn't open. The hour is late. Tomorrow's her birthday. He simply can't wait. He looks right and left. Not a soul on the block. He looks in the gutter. And there spies a rock. A leap and a bound. A swing and a crash. And out comes the bracelet. And then a mad dash. But someone had seen him. And called the police. And now shrieking sirens that just wouldn't cease. From every direction came cops in the chase. For this young man in love, there was no hiding place. At last he was spotted and shots filled the air. He felt like running, but he didn't dare. Soon he was surrounded and frisked for a gun. They found the bracelet, but a gun he had none. They put on the handcuffs and a cop heard him say, I'll be wearing the bracelets on her birthday. He sat in the prowl car, a cop on each side. For many a year, this would be his last ride. The motor was humming, and it seemed to say, over and over, crime doesn't pay. Crime doesn't pay. A little throwback Thursday moment with Derwood Kirby, a rare recording, Crime Doesn't Pay, 1963. Kimmy, would you like to hear that on your MP3 player? Wow, that's interesting. It, it is a rare thing, but you know him not because of that, not because of Candid Camera or the Gary Moore Show. You know him because a certain cartoon made fun of him, so much so that he almost sued them and was talked out of it because his manager said all that will do is draw more attention to the show. Do not sue. So he did not, even though the show's creator, the producer of this cartoon, offered to pay his legal services if he sued him. <laughs> he would pay it, but he wouldn't do it. See if you can identify the cartoon, Kimmy. Here is your audio clue. Well, it seems the Kerwood Derby is probably the most wanted hat that ever was. We want it so we can help our country. Fearless Leader wants it. I want it so I can rule the world. Boris wants it. I want it so I can rule Fearless Leader. And the Moon Men, Gidney and Croyd want it. We, we want, want it because it's ours. Well, when the smoke cleared away, everybody seemed unharmed except Mr. Kerwood, who said, I told you this was going to take a lot out of me. But instead of a crown, on the table was the Kerwood Derby. Not much for looks, is it? No, but put it on anyway, Nosmo. Yes, the Kerwood Derby is what they made fun of on what cartoon? Bullwinkle. <laughs> Yeah, a little throwback Thursday moments there. And, Kimmy, let's see if you can identify this person. Born on this date, 1934, played in Star Wars. Tell me his name. Tell me the name of the character he's known for. Here's your audio clue. All right, I think Kimmy can identify the character he played. What's the name of the character? R2-D2. Yes. 
Tell me his name. Kenny Baker. That's correct. Born on this date, 1934. Passed away, 2016, at the age of 81. Next person. Next person is an impossible birthday question for you, Kimmy, even though you are the music expert, the audiophile. Sending this out to a very good friend to the Riley and Kimmy show, Jay in Jacksonville. Jay, shout out the answer to Kimmy. I know you will know this answer. Jay will know this of Jay's Multimedia. He will know it beyond a shadow of a doubt, Kimmy. So there's a possibility you might have some help here. Now, this song would play on oldies stations for a period of time. It would play on what's called adult contemporary stations in middle of the road, too. Matter of fact, it was a top 40 hit, too. Matter of fact, get this. This song peaked at number two for two weeks in August of 1968 on the, the top 40 charts. And then it was on the U.S. Easy Listening Charts, number one for three weeks. It is an instrumental. Tell me either the name of the instrumental or the recording artist. The person who recorded is having a birthday today. He is 79. Kimmy cannot tell me either the title or the name of the person who did it. This song, by the way, this instrumental was used by news stations across the country for years as a bed. TV stations would use it for things, too. The song is called Classical Gas. Its original name was Classical Gasoline, but they shortened it to Classical Gas. It's by Mason Williams. That's who had it as a hit. And Mason Williams, by the way... Uh, was a comedy writer for the Smothers Brothers and for other shows. And one of the errors in people's thinking with uh, this song is some will attribute it to Eric Clapton. Eric did not work on that at all. That is all the guitar work of Mason Williams himself. He was a classical guitarist. Next person, an actress having a birthday. Kimmy, see if you can identify who she is. She was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for the 1987 film Fatal Attraction. She played Michael Douglas's, well, his character's wife, Beth. And her other film appearances include Patriot Games in 1992 and Clear and Present Danger in 94. In those, she played Harrison Ford's character's wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she played a doctor in those. Kathy Ryan. Can you tell me her name? Mm. What is that actress's name? I can see her. Yes, who uh, is she? I cannot recall her name. Anne Archer is the name of the actress. Uh. How old is she within five? Oh, let's go 67. She is 70 today. Steve Gutenberg, actor. You might know him for, well, well, quite a few 80s films like Cocoon, Three Men and a Baby, and Short Circuit. He's having a birthday. Do you know him? Mm-hmm. How old is he within five? 59. You got it exactly right. Did somebody shout that out to you? Maybe. All right. Next person, tell me why he is famous. What makes him famous? Cal Ripken Jr. having a birthday. Baseball player? Yes, Kimmy's right. Baseball player, American former baseball shortstop and third baseman. He played 21 seasons in the majors, 
For what team, Kimmy, from 1981 to 2001? The New York Yankees? No, the Baltimore Orioles. He's having a birthday today. He is 57. Next person, identify him if you can. He's a TV talk show host. He was the original host of The Daily Show and then moved on to his, well, a show by his own name. See if you can identify who he is. Here's a brief audio clue. Happy President's Day, everyone. Yes, closed today were banks and schools and post offices, but not me. I'm in here busting my ass for one entire hour. Five days a week, one hour a day, and never rest. I was driving down uh, PCH uh, over the weekend, and I find myself behind Roger Clinton. <laughs> And he has one of those bumper stickers that says, how am I drunk driving? Which I thought, (laughs) I don't know if you heard the big story, Roger Clinton was busted in California for DWI. And Roger Clinton claims he was forced to swerve wildly to avoid slamming into one of Shaq's free throws. That's what he was. (laughs) And finally, it was on this day in 1878 that Thomas Edison patented the first record player. Thomas Edison, on this day in 1878, uh, invented the first record player. Up until then, people... Could only hear Aerosmith live. So. Who is the birthday person? Can you do it? It's not Dennis Miller, even though he kind of sounded a little bit like him at the beginning there. Who is it? I can't. It's Craig Kilborn having a birthday today. He is 55. I see dead people. Notable deaths on this date. This person had famous parents. He passed away in 1995. He was a singer, an actor. He dies at the age of 62. He was part of the supporting cast of a certain TV show. See if you can identify the TV show, Kimmy. It was a show that ran from 1968 to 1975. Can Kimmy tell me the name of this Jack Webb TV show? Adam 12? Yes, it's Adam 12. He was on Adam 12. He was part of the uh, support cast. He played Officer Ed Wells on Adam-12. Well, the reason for the bikes is because they're quiet. I did a breakdown on every car clout we've had in the area, and I come up with one very interesting fact. Now, every car that's been hit for stereos and radio has been hit from the curbside. All they got to do is lay down when the squad car cruises by, and we never see him. That's Gary Crosby. He was the son of Bing Crosby. He passed away on this date in 1995. And by the way, if you watch Buzzer TV, you can see him... He appears on game shows in the 70s like Match Game and also uh, he's a panelist on the show Tattle Tales. You'll see him there. 1998 saw the passing of E.G. Marshall, an American actor. Died at the age of 84, best known for his TV roles as the lawyer Lawrence Preston on The Defenders in the 1960s. He played a neurosurgeon, David Craig, on The Bold Ones, The New Doctors in the 1970s. And in films, he was juror number four in 12 Angry Men. Yes. His lawyer took great pains to bring that out. He had three months from the night of the murder to the day of the trial in which to memorize them. It's not difficult for a lawyer to find out what played at a particular theater on a particular night. I'll take the testimony of the policeman who interrogated the boy right after the murder, when he couldn't remember a thing about the movies, great emotional stress or not. E.G. Marshall, one of the things that was really cool that he played in is Compulsion, an Orson Welles film. He played the district attorney, Harold Horn, who, uh, well, figures out who the murderers are. And he was also the president of the United States in Superman 2, 1980, and he was kept in the director's cut, Richard Donner's cut, in 2006. That is E.G. Marshall, who passed away on this date in 1998. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job with trivia today. 
Thank you. And we're going to go back in time and focus on something, well, someone who was really big but unfortunately has faded in memories. And we're going to do that with the Golden Age of Radio. Radio And that's the Riley and Kimmy Show. We mentioned actor Preston Foster, born on this date in 1901. He was in a ton of films and stage work and the Golden Age of Radio, too. We have two examples of his fine work in the Golden Age of Radio. First one is Singing Walls. It's a suspense episode. That means it's full of thrills and chills. From 1943, followed by The Doctor Shoots a Cannon in 1944. These are both safe for all ages to hear. They're back-to-back uninterrupted. Kicking it off, here's Singing Walls, 1943, actor Preston Foster on The Riley and Kimmy Show. This is The Man in Black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Tonight, heading our Hollywood cast are two noted leading men. One, Mr. Preston Foster, a star long established, the hero of many an adventurous film, the latest, the 20th Century Fox production, Guadalcanal Diary. The other, Mr. Dane Clark, a newcomer to the screen, whose auspicious debut in Action in the North Atlantic has made him warmly welcome in these parts. Mr. Clark appears tonight as a young man who awoke one morning to find himself in a very serious jam. And Mr. Foster is the San Francisco homicide detective who is willing to help his friend up to a point. The play called The Singing Walls by Robert L. Richards, adapted from a story by Cornell Woolrich, is tonight's tale of suspense. If you've been with us before, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with the performances of Preston Foster as Detective Denny Sullivan and Dane Clark as young Tom Cochran. We again hope to keep you in... Suspense. Have another. No, drink it all. There's lots more. So a guy named Joe brought you, huh? You come up here from Joe's place? What's that? Oh, you don't even know where Joe lives, huh? Me? No, I don't know either. I never seen Joe before in my life. How you feeling now, kid, huh? Sure, have a little more. It's good for what ails you. Ah, that's nothing. You're all right. Sure, I know. Let's get out of here. I know a better place. Come on, come on, I'll help you. (laughs) No, that's not a window. It's bricked up. They put a building up right behind this one. That's right. It comes right out of the walls. Singing walls. Yeah, yeah. We got hot and cold running water here and singing walls. (laughs) 
That's the idea. Make yourself right at home. Hey, lie down. Lie down and take a little snooze. Sure, I'll be right back. What's the matter? Have a little trouble in here while I was gone? Oh, it's blood. Sure, blood. All over your shirt. Oh, him? Oh, he's all right. Just put him in the closet. Lock the door. Like that, see? Now you put the key right in your pocket so you'll know just where to find it. Don't worry. He'll be all right. No, I'm not going any place. I'll be back in just a minute. Here. <laughs> Have another. Have another. I'll, I'll, I'll be back in just a minute. <laughs> no. No, no. Let me out. Let me out of here. Tommy. Let me out of here. Tommy, no, what's no. The no. Tommy. at your door the longest time? Huh? You were having a dream or something. Yeah, I... I what time is it? Well, it's way afternoon. You came in pretty late. I did, huh? Uh, toss me my bathrobe, will you, sis? Don't you know what time you got in? Not exactly. Oh, Tommy. I know it's tough not having a job all these months. And I know you've tried. But this isn't doing you any good. I know, sis, but... Last night was the first time in a month, and anyway, it, it was different. I had a few drinks, but it was different. Something happened. What do you mean, something happened? Well, it wasn't just the drinks. They were doped or something. Oh, Tom. No, look, sis, it's not just an alibi. I don't remember where I was or anything, only that just now I seem to be dreaming about it. About what? About last night. I could, I could hear you banging on the door all the time I was dreaming. And then it seemed as though I wasn't dreaming at all, that... I was remembering a lot of things. What sort of things? Well, it was all mixed up. There was a guy with a kind of a frog voice that kept giving me drinks. And I was sort of floating. And then there was a place that music came out of the walls. There was something about blood on my shirt. The key to a closet. Why, Tommy, you're shaking like a leaf. Yeah. It was a pretty scary dream. If it was a dream... What you need is some good hot coffee. Now hurry up and get dressed and come on downstairs. Here, I'll get you out a clean shirt. Yeah, I'll, I'd better wear the old one. I've only worn it once. Oh, but it's all messy. Yeah, it does look kind of... Mildred. What? My shirt, give it to me. Now what's the matter? Look, Mildred, that's blood. Well, I guess it is. I know it is, just like it was in the dream. Oh, Tommy, don't be so silly. You must have hurt yourself somewhere. But I didn't. Look, there isn't a scratch on me. Well, then he got in a fight. Maybe. What else could it have been? Well, that's what I'm trying to think. Well, stop thinking and hurry up and get dressed. My goodness, look at the way you threw your clothes around last night. Trousers on the floor. Here. Oh, dear, everything's falling out of the pockets. I'll pick it up. You get dressed. Thanks. <laughs> you didn't come home with much, did you? Well, I didn't have much to start with. Well, I'll put it all up here on the bureau. 25 cents in change and your keys. Now, hurry. What'd you say? I said, hurry. No, no, no. Before that, what'd you say? I said I put your change and your keys up in the bureau. Keys? Yes. Mildred, 
I only have one key. Well, there are two there now. I know. Let me see them. Here. One's the key to the front door. Yeah, but the other one... Doesn't belong to any door in this house. It's the key to the closet. What closet? Last night, it wasn't a dream. Tommy, what are you talking about? Mildred, you better call Denny right away. But he's on duty. I know, but get him over here right away. Tommy, what is it? Last night, I think I killed a man. your eyes. Listen, Denny, I... Mm-hmm. You were doped, all right. Well, I didn't know what it was. Never mind that now. How much do you remember? Look, Denny, I hated to bring you in on this, and I... I didn't know who else to go to. Skip it. What's the use of having a brother-in-law who's a cop if he can't help you once in a while? How much do you remember? Well, just what I've told you. Just like it wasn't a dream, only it wasn't a dream. You see, there was this guy, Joe, just some guy I'd known from someplace. I don't know where. See, I met him on the street, and he took me to the party. And then the guy with the frog voice began giving me drinks. And then everything got confused. And I was in another place with the singing walls. And some harmonica playing or something. I, I, I don't even know whether it was in the same apartment even, but that's where the closet was. What about the guy you... The dead guy? Well, at first he wasn't there, and then he was. He was sort of slumped over in a big armchair. Then frog voice put him in a closet. That's what I remember. And then he left. And then I suddenly seemed to realize that the guy in the closet was dead, and that's why I got out of there. I don't know how. You don't have any idea where it was? No, no, I don't even know where the party was. And you'd never seen any of these people before? Except this guy, Joe, who took me to the party. And that's all I know about him, Denny. Just a guy named Joe that I knew from by sight from someplace. I don't know where or his last name or anything. Not much to go on, is there, kid? No, not much. A guy named Joe, singing walls in a closet. Another guy with a froggy voice. But I'd recognize him or his voice if I ever saw him again. Tommy... You're in a jam. The way it looks right now, there's a dead man in a closet somewhere in this town, and you killed him. Oh, but Denny, I... Well, maybe you didn't. And if we find him before somebody else does, maybe we can figure out what did happen. The way it stands now, you're it. I know. We haven't got much time, either. The place is an apartment. They probably would have found the body already, and I'd know about it. It's a hotel. They check the guests out by 6 o'clock. That gives us about four hours. <laughs> four hours. For the murderer to find the guy he murdered. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Tommy, you know how I feel about Mildred. You know I don't exactly hate you either. You know I'll do everything in the world I possibly can to clear you. Sure, Denny, I know. But I'm a cop, Tommy. If you did it, you know I'm going to turn you in, don't you? Sure. I know that, too. Okay, kid. Now, let's start from the beginning. What about this Joe? I... I, I don't know anything about him. You know his name, you know his face. Think, Tommy, think. Well, I'm trying to. If I could only remember. If I could only remember. So a guy named Joe brought you, huh? You come up here from Joe's place? What's that? Oh, you don't even know where Joe lives, huh? Me? No, I don't know either. I never seen Joe before in my life.
Still don't get it, Tommy? No, no, I don't. You told me where Joe is. I have? Sure. You see the sign over that saloon? Yeah, it's Joe's place. But how do you know that... Tommy, you were playing with bad boys last night. And this is where bad boys hang out, among other places. It's got a name. It's run by a guy named Joe. He minds his own business, as far as we know, but his customers don't. So? It all clicked when I remembered you said the guy with the frog voice asked you if you came up there from Joe's place. He didn't mean where Joe lived or anything. He meant this place. He thought maybe you were one of the boys. Yeah, but how did I ever meet this Joe? I've never been here in my life. He runs another joint, a respectable saloon. It's a sort of cover, about three blocks from our house, the town tavern. Hey, that's right. Remember? Yeah. Now, Joe may or may not be in on this. Frog Boyce made a big play to you that he didn't know Joe. He'd never seen him before in his life. His customers always cover him. It's better for them that way. But if my hunch is right, Joe is going to be plenty surprised when he sees you walk in there. Me? Walk in there? Ah, don't worry. Just walk in and sit down at the bar. If you're not out in a couple of minutes, I'll, sh- I'll know you recognize the guy and we're on the right track. I'll come in as though I didn't see you and go into the phone booth. And then what? Then we'll see. Okay, kid? Okay. Oh, one thing. Yeah? If he offers you a drink on the house, take it. Sure. Well, here goes. What a be, Mac? Here. Well, we got you. Oh, it doesn't matter. Suit yourself. Well, well, what do you know? Tell me. Hiya, Joe. Hey, what are you doing down in this part of town, kid? Oh, I... I, uh, had to come down to see a guy... I didn't know you had this place. Oh, just a little sideline? It's where I first started, you know. Sure, I know. One beer, that'll be ten cents. Hey, no, no, none of that. You gotta have one on me, kid. A real drink. What'll you have? Well, I... Scotch? Okay. Scotch for the gentleman, Larry. The very best. You understand? Oh, yeah, sure. I'll take rye. Hey, Tommy. That was some party last night, huh? What? Yeah. Hey, where'd you disappear to? I was looking all over for you. You know, that's a funny thing. I don't even remember. (laughs) I get it. Well, a guy has to cut loose once in a while, huh? Yeah. One scotch, the very best. One ride. Well, here's to you. Wait a minute. Hey, who are you? Uh, 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 this is my brother-in-law. Denny, this is Joe. Say, you must have got those drinks mixed up. You never drink scotch, Tommy. You only drink rye. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you take the rye and give Joe the scotch, and I'll take your beer. I don't like scotch. I never touch it. Okay, I'll take it. Thanks. By the way, Joe, you haven't got a little bottle I could pour this into, have you? Say, who do you think you're kidding, bud? I'm from headquarters. There's my badge. Oh. Oh, now, wait a minute. I didn't know that you... I suppose you don't know what I'd find in this drink if I took it down to be analyzed, either. Hey, now, look, I don't want any trouble. I never had any. They can tell you down at headquarters. Of course, it's a matter of dough. You can't buy your way out of this one, chum. I want talk, and I want it quick. What kind of talk? Where'd you take Tommy last night? It was just a little party, a private party. Yeah, and they slip things in people's drinks there, too. Now, I don't know anything about that. Now, honest, I, I hardly know the people. Who's the guy with the frog voice? Voice? I don't know any guy with a frog voice. Now, look, I told you I don't want any trouble. I can tell you that down at headquarters. Listen, there's a narcotics wrap in this for somebody, and it could be you. Where was the party? Courtney Square West, number 75. Some people named Sorrell. Come on, Tommy. You're coming too, Joe, just in case. (laughs) 
Sorrell, hey, Jay. Does this look like the place, Tommy? Well, it looks like it. Could be. Everything has been so confused since last night, I... Well, this is it. It better be. Mrs. Sorrell? Yes? I'm from police headquarters. Oh? Mind if we come in and look around? Why, no. Come on, Tommy. You too, Joe. By the way, you two know each other? Oh, face familiar. I think he's been here on a couple of parties. We kind of get crazy parties. All kinds of people wander in and out. Is that what the trouble is? It might be. You know anyone with a froggy voice? No. Not that I can remember. Okay. Let's look at the apartment. Well, this is the hall, of course. And here's the living room. Joe, you stay here in the hall. And you better be here when I get back. I'll be here. So this is the living room. Uh Uh-huh. This is the bedroom. Looks kind of messy now. See anything? No. No, Over here is the kitchenette. I see. That's about all there is to it. Uh, what's that room there? Oh, that's just a sort of storeroom. Yeah, well, I think we better look at it, though. Come on. Well, all right. There, see? There's nothing much in it. An old armchair and a bed. We use it as a guest room sometimes. Jenny, that closet. Oh, there's nothing in there. Just a lot of old odds and ends. Open it. Well... Locked. All right, unlock it. I, I'm not sure where the key is. And, lady, you better find it. Well, I'll try. Be right back. Is this it, Tommy? Well, there was a closet like that. And a window just over there where that one is. And the armchair and the bed. Don't you remember? I, I can't, Denny. Let me have that key. Wait a minute, here she comes. I think this is it. Try it. It sort of sticks sometimes. I'll help you. Come. See? Just a lot of old junk. Uh-huh. Oh, come on, Denny. You sure? Sure, I'm sure. Come on. Well, I guess that's all, Mrs. Sorrell. Thanks for showing us around. That's all right. Hello, Joe. Still here, huh? You don't mind if I stay here and visit a while, do you? No, I guess not. Well, goodbye. Bye. Thanks again. Well, goodbye and good luck, Copper. I'm sorry, Denny. Well, it was a try. Well, what do we do now? I don't know, Tommy. I don't know. Think, Tommy. Think. We found Joe. Now, what about those singing walls? No, that's over there. That's right. It comes right out of the walls. We got hot and cold running water here and singing walls. <laughs> Listen. What? That's it. The singing walls. The music I heard last night. You sure? Sure. I remember the piece, the harmonica and everything. It's coming from right around here someplace. Denny, it's coming from their apartment, the one we just left, Sorrell's. Well, come on. This must be the place, Tommy. The closet and now the music. They must have been pulling a fast one on us. Well? All right, quit stalling. Come on, Tommy. Stalling? You heard me. You two brushed us off pretty slick, didn't you? Hey, now, listen. I told you I don't know anything about this, but if you... Where's the music coming from? Well, from the radio. The radio? Yes, I turned it on in the kitchen just now while I started to fix dinner. It's a little portable. In here, see? Okay. I don't get it. What did you mean by... Skip it. Well, Tommy, here we go again. I don't care. That was the music I heard. And that's the same number, and it sounds like the same band. Hey, wait a minute. Now what? Where's your phone? On the desk. Tommy, look and see what station that's coming over. All right. WBTA. It's a local station. Thanks. Hello? Operator? Get me station WBTA. A radio station. I don't know what the number is. Just get it. This is a police call. Thanks. Maybe wrong, Tommy, but I got a hunch. Hello? WBTA? 
What's that band you've got on now? I don't care if it's an electrical transcription or a Mickey Mouse cartoon. What's the guy's name? What? Turn off that radio. Now, what was that guy's name? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, where can we get a hold of this guy? Where does he hang out? I see. Five nights a week, huh? That include tonight? Thanks. It's a small-time band leader, Tom. Harmonica Hal and his harmonies, he calls himself, and he plays at a place called the Silver Slipper out in the concourse. Come on. Coming. You better get on that phone, Joe. Uh, you dumb, you would have to turn on that radio. <laughs> There's a silver slipper right over there. Okay, let us out here. Right. Here you are. Thank you, sir. Look familiar to you around here, Tommy? No. Oh, I'm afraid it's a bum steer, Denny. Look, kid, here's the way I figure this music deal. You may have heard a recording of this band the way you did a little while ago. But there's a good chance you actually heard the guy himself. You know what time it was when you heard it? Well, it was just night. That's all I know. All right. They don't make recordings often of unknown bands. And this silver slipper isn't on the air. So maybe you were out here someplace and heard the band itself. Maybe. I know it's kind of a long shot, kid, but right now it's the best we got. Let's case the joint. Okay. <laughs> don't look like there are any rooms with closets in a silver slipper. Say, what about that crummy-looking hotel next to it? Yeah, I was just thinking... If you were in a room in a closet and all that, and you really did hear this band, that hotel's the only place you could have been. Oh, I wish I could remember something. The shape you were in, you probably signed your own name, too. Come on. By the way, what time you got? Uh, uh, ten to six. Ten to six. Deadline's pretty close, kid. Yeah. This better be right. What a dump. I could only remember. Well, there's a the clerk. We'll see. Say, you got a guy named Tom Cochran here? Tom Cochran? I don't know. It's all right. We're friends of his. Now, see, when did he register? Last night. Mm, sure, here it is. Tom Cochran and Ben Doyle, room 209. I don't think they're in, though. No? No. I've been ringing them to see if they were going to check out by six. I was just going to send somebody up. Well, they were out at a big party last night. Probably haven't pulled themselves together yet. As a matter of fact, that's why we came to see them. Should I ring again? No, we'll sort of surprise them. Okay, right up those stairs. But they got to be out by six or pay for another night. Uh, we'll take care of that. Let's go, Tom. Did you see that handwriting on the register? Yeah. It was mine, all right. This is it, Tommy. One way or another. Yeah. Here's 209. Don't put your hand on that doorknob. Oh, fingerprints. Use your handkerchief. It's locked. I got some keys. It's an easy lock. Here we go, kid. Denny, this is it. Close that door. Yeah. There's a the closet. Give me the key. Here, you better hold my gun on that door just in case. All right. Timmy, look out! He was just falling. He's dead. Oh, gee, this is awful. You remember now? Yeah. But I can't put it together. Let's have a look. Oh. Hmm. Stabbed. Here's his driver's license. Benjamin Doyle. Give me it. Hello? Oh, yeah, we found them, all right. No, they're going to keep the room for another night. 
No, no, no. There's not a thing we want. We're in for it now, kid. Daddy, look on the floor over there. Clasp knife, covered with blood. That's what did it, all right? Yeah. Hey. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's mine. Tommy, why didn't you tell me? Honest, Denny, I didn't even know I'd lost it until I just saw it there now. Fingerprints all over. It's clear as though they'd been made in sealing wax. Right-handed, aren't you, Tommy? Yeah, right-handed. Let me see your right hand. <laughs> Doesn't take an expert to read these. Those prints are yours, all right, kid. Yeah, I guess they are. And you still don't remember? Honest, Denny, I don't. Can you think of any other explanation? No. There's the guy with the frog voice, but... I must have just dreamed them up. I don't know. Well, kid, I guess this is it. You did all you could, Danny. Don't feel bad. You can plead insanity or something. Maybe we can prove you were doped. Maybe. You better call headquarters, Danny. Let's get it over. All right. So where are you going? I don't want to phone from here. The clerk will listen in. There's no use getting all the wolves on us before we have to. Aren't you afraid that I'll... No, no. Oh, I won't. I'll just have him send a detective car. You won't have to go in the wagon. Thanks. Better let me have my gun. Sure. I'll be back. Lie down for a couple of minutes. You look kind of sick. I am. That's the idea. Take a little snooze. I won't be gone long. Get a little sleep. Do you good. I'll be right back. Have a little trouble in here? Blood. Sure, blood. All over your shirt. Oh, he's all right. Put him in the closet. Lock the door. Key right in your pocket. I'm not going anyplace. Back in just a minute. Sure, I'll be right back. Be right back. You! Yeah, me. Hey, what are you going to do with him, Froggy? Get him in the other room until his copper friend misses him and starts looking. Now, listen, I don't want to be in anything like this. Shut up. You're in it up to your neck. Come on, you. Get up. Okay. Get going. Up the hall here. Open the other door, Joe. Sure. Get in there. The guy, Frog? Yeah. Listen, Froggy, this don't look so good. There was people who knew you were getting ready to give it to Doyle and... Sure, sure, that's why I framed this guy. All the trouble I went to, doped him and brought Doyle in there when he was out. Planted the key on him, bloodied him up, put the knife in his hand. I still don't see how he... how he ever came to in time. Yeah, but he did. So what? We frame him again. Music? You like music, don't you? You're pretty sweet about music, ain't you? Well, for your information, that's harmonica hell rehearsing for the night. And in this room, it comes through the window. On account of the reza window. But in the other room, it comes through the walls. On account of the rate no window. Catch on? Better close the window, Joe. No, no, wait a minute. Yeah, I do like music. You mind if a guy in a spot like I am hears a little music? What about it, Froggy? Sure, sure, leave it up and let's have music while we work. It'll cover up the noise if he makes any fuss. So what's a new angle? Knock him off. Dump him in the park. Dead by his own hand. Remorse. Oh. We leave the gun beside him and plant some of Doyle's stuff on him. Yeah, yeah, I got it. All right, get going, get going. Tie him up. Right. Yeah. Put a handkerchief in his mouth. 
Yeah. Put a cart around him. He's drunk, see? And we're taking care of him. Okay. Where's the car? Round him back. Nobody will see us going out that way. All right, all right. You ready? Just a minute. All right, take a look. Okay. All right. Take a look out that door. Okay. All clear? Yeah. Let's go. Lock the door after we go on. Okay. Down the hall at the back stairs. Hey, what the... All right, drop those Look guns and Cover them, you guys. I got him. What is this? You'll find out, Graziano. You... Get that gag out of the guy's mouth and untie him, Mike. Sure. Denny, I heard the music. I hoped you would. I asked him to leave the window open. I heard the conversation, too. Enough. Okay, boys, take him down. All right, you'll come, come on, come on. Say, who are those guys? Graziani's a mobster. Doyle was one of his boys who double-crossed him. How you feel? Okay, I guess. That was kind of close. Yeah, all the way around. Yeah. Look, kid, I... Uh, skip it, Denny. I'm sorry, Tommy. Honest. I thought you did it. Denny, until just now, so did I. So closes The Singing Wall, starring Preston Foster with Dane Clark. The Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry, presents three of America's favorite actors. Preston Foster, Gene Lockhart, and Otto Kruger in The Doctor Shoots a Cannon. And so, with Preston Foster in the role of storyteller, Gene Lockhart as Dr. Andrew C. Ivey, and Otto Kruger as Dr. Gordon Foley, DuPont brings you The Doctor Shoots a Cannon by Paul Peters and Robert Tallman on The Cavalcade of America. Preston Foster. Tonight I'm going to tell you a story. It's a true story and it's called The Doctor Shoots a Cannon. It's not about any doctor in particular. Or rather, there are two doctors who actually do shoot a small cannon farther along in the story. But there's more to it than that. A lot of us think of doctors only as men who treat people who are already sick. But doctors are also fighters. Men who fight sickness itself. The fighters in our story wear the uniform of the United States Navy. They fight in the gleaming, insulated laboratories of the Naval Medical Research Institute in a quiet sort of place called Bethesda, Maryland. But it's no snug harbor. This theater of operations is as big as the world, and the battle they fight without rest and without ceasing is perhaps the most important battle of all. Time, the present. Aboard a U.S. destroyer off the coast of Norway on a battle wrecked route to Murmansk. Attention. All men topside. All men topside. Put on battle jackets. 
jackets and apply anti-flash burn cream to face and hands. Uh-oh. All right, Nick, haul out that can of goop. Yeah, I don't like that stuff. Well, just rub it on. Just rub it on. Don't take it. That's a heck of a note when you have to go into battle smeared up like a clown. Look, flash burn ain't nothing to monkey with. I saw a chaplain get it once standing down below in a passageway. No, it. Look out! Man, that was a close one. Who said them Nazis can't shoot? Yeah. Look out! Look out! Hey, Nick. Nick, you hurt? No. No, I don't think so. But, man, did you feel that blast go by like lightning? <laughs> What's so funny? <laughs> you ought to see your face. I got a huh? pocket mirror here. What's the matter? Here, have a look. <laughs> Brother, you've got two of the prettiest roses in those cheeks of yours i ever seen. I don't see what's so funny about that flashbang. Could have been very serious. I thought you didn't like to put that stuff on your face. Say, that's some stuff, though. It didn't hit me anywhere but those two little spots I missed. I wonder who invented it. Battle jackets and anti-flashburn cream. A routine order. The men joke about it a little, but they know. It doesn't look like much of anything. You smear it on your face and hands, let it dry, and wash it off when the shooting's over. But the men in the Navy know. Maybe they don't know what it's made of or who invented it, but they know that it works. And there was a time... Listen. I, uh... I was in the bunk room shaving when the bomb hit us, sir. Jenkins was perched on the bunk right behind me. And he didn't feel anything. But me... Say, it was like somebody snapped a whip over my hands and face. It went up my legs and arms like scalding water, sir. Only dry. Hot and dry. When I heard the alarm bell go, I grabbed for my life jacket and started down the passageway. I didn't hear the explosion. It was like something came rushing at me. Choked off my breath. No, it wasn't hot in there. I didn't see any flash. It just hit me. Poof. I didn't think it could be a burn. That's how it was. It was a burn, all right. Flash burn. The doctors had known about it for a long time. A heat wave generated by an exploding bomb or shell. Capable of traveling down open hatches, through corridors, and even around corners. Striking as far as 200 yards from the actual scene of the explosion. It was a problem in physics. Scientists had an explanation for it. But in the battles of Midway and the Carl Sea, between 25 and 30 percent of all casualties were due to... Flash burn. Dr. Ivy, report to Captain Hawkinson immediately. Dr. Ivy, Dr. Reeves. That Dr. voice you hear is coming over a loudspeaker in the library of the Navy's Medical Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland. At the summons from the speaker, two of the doctors rise, cross to the shelves, and replace the books they are reading, then walk out. Dr. Ivy doesn't seem to be about. Oh, yes, here he comes now. He seems to be bussing along in a great hurry. Well, Dr. Ivy. Uh, I'll talk to you later, Dr. Farley. There's something I've absolutely got to do. Well, they were just calling you to report to Captain Hawkinson. I thought you might like to know. Uh, thank you. I, I've i been over at the hospital looking at some burn cases. See, did you read this latest report on flash burn casualties? Yes, and it's terrible. Absolutely terrible. 25 to 30 percent. Now, that doesn't seem possible. Doctor, I've been thinking... You've read those native uh, bulletins about uh, about blood plasma and making a medicated ointment with one of the sulfur drugs, for instance. Now, wait a minute, Doctor. Wait a minute. Well, why not? Any fool can plainly see You that... see, I know. I'm not getting roped in any more experiments with you, Dr. Ivy. I'm leaving for New York in exactly two oh, hours. Oh, bother New York. I've got some important work to do in New York, and besides, I, 
I want to see my wife. Uh, my dear Dr. Farley, Dr. Ivy, report to Captain Hawkinson immediately. Dr. Ivy. still calling him. Well, I... I hope Dr. Hawkinson hasn't another of those lifeboat ration problems for me. Uh, look here, Dr. Farley. Why don't you take it over, eh? And leave me free to do, to, to do the work on this ointment of mine. No, sorry. I'm going to New York, and that's final. Dr. Ivy and Dr. Farley, report to Captain Hawkinson. <laughs> Dr. Farley. Dr. <laughs> Farley. Uh, so that's final, is it? Well, it looks to me as if you and I are going to study that lifeboat ration problem together. Come along, Dr. Farley. They're calling you. They're calling you, Dr. Farley. Are you really going to take that trip? Your commanding officer probably won't insist that you stay. And what about you, Dr. Ivy? That new treatment for burns sounds like a good idea. But there are other men working on it. Good men, too. Well, let's wait and see what he has to say. Here's his office. Open the door and go in. Good morning. Sit down, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. You know Dr. Corey, Dr. Greaves? Yes, Dr. Good morning, gentlemen. Of course you've read the casualty reports on Midway and the Coral Sea. I certainly have, Dr. Hawkinson. Well, the problem here is not basically one of medication. Improved medication will help matters, of course. We should have that perfected very shortly. But the Navy has asked us not for a medication but a preventive for a flash burn. What is your suggestion, Dr. Corey? Well, uh, I was interested in the fact that only the faces and hands and the legs up to a little above the knees seem to be affected in cases of flash burn. In other words, the snug-fitting parts of a regulation uniform seem to deflect it. Uh, Dr. Greaves and I were thinking in terms of battle dress. Yes, sir. Lined with K-Pock, maybe, to act as a life preserver as well. I see. Dr. Foley, how does that strike you? Well, it might be worked out. A mask for the face, though, it doesn't seem very practical, does it? No, and uh, what about the length of time it would take to get into it? It'd be awfully clumsy. Well, Dr. Ivy, that's why I called you and Dr. Foley in here. It occurred to me that you four men working together... No, Dr. Hawkinson, now, you're not forgetting that uh, I was to leave for New York tonight, are you? Work with Dr. Blair and his experiment? Oh, that's the first important. Oh, yes. And uh, you, Dr. Ivy? Well, frankly, sir, I... I don't believe it's my cup of tea. It may not be an engineering problem, but I agree with Dr. Foley that it emphatically is not a medical problem. What about conversion of salt water to drinking water? Would you have said that wasn't a medical problem? Well, sir, that at least was a problem in chemistry, but designing a battle dress, it, it seems to me, sir, that that's a problem for a tailor. Think again, Doctor. What about William Gorgas scrubbing the streets of Panama City, haggling with housewives over water containers, cutting down brush and draining swamps to hound the malaria mosquito out of his hiding places? Was that the way to tackle a medical problem? It stopped malaria, doctor. There's your answer. But clothing... Clothing is not the answer to flashburn. I'm positive it's not. There must be some answer. In science, there's always an answer. Of course, there is an answer. Hang it all. Our job is to relieve the suffering of those boys, to give them quicker, better treatments. Well, Doctor, you seem to be in that box that every scientist gets into sooner or later. The old business of choosing between the relief of immediate suffering or taking a flyer on a long-range plan to remove the cause of the suffering. But that kind of research takes years. The war may be over by the time we get results. How do you end a war, Doctor? By sniping at the enemy with a rifle? Or by blasting his lines with a cannon? 
cannon. Cannon? That's it. A cannon. Dr. Foley. Dr. Foley. Oh, hello, Doctor. What are you doing up here? Thought you were doing research on that ointment over at the hospital. Well, they're doing very well over there without me. And by the way, what are you doing here? I thought you were in New York. Well, it was decided to postpone the trip. Thought I'd drop around and see how Dr. Corey and Dr. Greaves are getting along with that uh, battle suit of theirs. Oh, that's funny. I was going to do the same thing. Uh, did you read about the Macaulay? Yeah. A transport. That means most of the casualties were non-combatants. Mm-hmm. Flashburn? Of course. We don't have complete reports yet. No, no, of course not. Say, so look, Dr. Ivy, I was thinking. Yeah? Why not an ointment? Or, you know, a heavy grease like the channel swimmers used to put on themselves. Now, if yeah. it keeps out the cold, it ought to keep out the heat. Yes, but grease melts. Try again. Mm. Well, there's uh, zinc oxide, of course. How do we know? It might crack. Think of the intense heat of flash burn. That's right, gosh. If there were only some way to experiment. There is. Shoot a cannon. Huh? Shoot a cannon. Come on. I'll show you. Now you're talking, Doctor. Let's have a look at that cannon. Well, Doctor, this is it. What do you think of it? Oh, looks like a piece of junk to me. Who made that? I did. Uh-oh. Uh, does it work? Of course it works. It's a very efficient principle. Spark coil and generator. Mm-hmm. Early flipper period, yeah? Oh, of course, this is just temporary. Doctor, I'll tell you what we could do. Mm-hmm. We could set up a shop in the basement where the noise of the firing of the cannon wouldn't bother people. But there's, there's just one bug in it. Yeah, what's that? I need something to restrict the area of the flash of the explosion. Oh. Well, what about that piece of asbestos board over there? Oh, excellent idea. Look here. I've even got a hole in it. About the size of a silver dollar. Here. Here, Dr. Foley. Uh, take some of this zinc oxide and put it on your arm. Hey, hey, do I have to be the first guinea pig? Zinc oxide was your idea. Here. Let's prop it up. Now, you stand behind it. There. Oh, all right. Uh, what do you want me to do? You want me to hold my arm up against the hole, huh? That's right. Now, ready? Well, shoot. Oh, hey, that burnt like the devil. Good. Go- what do you mean, good? Why, we're on our way to the solution of our problem. We know now that zinc oxide won't work. Oh, yeah. You, know, you mean to say that we have to try every possible substance by the process of trial and error? Do you know any other way? Well, no, but... Oh, listen, this will take years. Yes. I know. And that's what worries me. Well, there's only one thing to do. Go and see Dr. Hawkinson. Ask him if he'll approve of this. All right. After you, sir. Oh, uh, Dr. Foley. (laughs) Dr. Ivey. Did you see this? What is it, Dr. Grease? Oh, tonight's paper? Oh. The Chicago. The Chicago has been sunk. Probably means another big battle. More flash burn cases. Oh, we... Can't let this experiment take years, Dr. Ivy. We can't. Uh, 
You are listening to The Doctor Shoots a Cannon, featuring Preston Foster as the storyteller, Gene Lockhart as Dr. Andrew C. Ivey, and Otto Kruger as Dr. Gordon Pauley, on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by DuPont, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. As our play continues, Dr. Ivey and Dr. Pauley of the Naval Medical Research Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, have begun experiments to find a solution to a centuries-old problem, the pain and injuries resulting from flash burn. Just when they seem to be on the track, they encounter their first great barrier, the apparent need of years to experiment. This is the dark moment, Dr. Pauley. This is the moment when Pierre and Marie Curie looked at a mountain of pitch blend and wondered if any human being could find the tiny bit of radioactive substance in it in one lifetime. But they found a way. Systems, shortcuts, and it took just one lifetime after all. Now, what is the situation here? What does your commanding officer say? Well, gentlemen, Dr. Corey and Dr. Greaves have exhausted all the possibilities of battle dress. Fortunately, the number of fabrics and designs for garments is limited, so we found out fairly quickly that they don't hold the solution of our problem. The answer's got to be in some preparation that can be rubbed on the skin, that can withstand heat without melting or cracking, and at the same time, not irritate the skin or infect wounds. Have you any idea how to go about finding such a substance? Well, trial and error, sir. That's the only way we know. Won't that be too slow? Probably, sir, but there's no other way. Well, good luck, gentlemen. Oh, uh, by the way, I'll send you Michaels. He's volunteered to act as a guinea pig for Dr. Greaves and Dr. Corey. He's a pharmacist, mate. Had a little medical training, I believe. Good. We'll need a girl to volunteer also, Dr. Hawkinson. Preferably a redhead. Well, we'll ask among the waves. But aren't you being rather specific, Dr. Ivey? Uh, sensitive skin. Uh, you know, sir, that uh, women have more sensitive skin than men, and redheads are especially sensitive. Well, I understand Dr. Corey and Dr. Greaves have willed you to us, Michaels. Well, I guess that's about it, sir, but I, I wanted to go on with the experiment and got interested in it. Seaman Holland reporting for duty, sir. Well, glad to see you, Holland. This is Michaels. This is the other subject of the experiment. Very pleased to meet you, Holland. Thank you. When do we begin the experiment, Doctor? Right now. Dr. Ivy's ready. All set, Dr. Foley. All right, then. Now, uh, Holland, you and Michael stand uh, on the opposite side of that asbestos shield there, will you? And uh, press your arms against these round apertures. Right here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, that blast will strike your skin in that restricted area, and that'll enable us to study the intensity of the burn. Um, well, you want to add anything to that, Dr. Ivey? Uh, no, Doctor, that, that's about it, except that we've prepared four different ointments, which we'll put on four different spots on your arm. Well, then you're going to shoot four times? No, 16, Holland. Four times four is 16, isn't it? Or have you youngsters changed there? <laughs> oh, are you going to shoot yourselves, too? Well, a good scientist always starts with himself. Uh, you see, Michael's nose. He's had six months in medical school. Yeah, well, a year, sir. A year? New Jersey? Pennsylvania. All right, now, if this ointment works, there won't be any erythema. Uh, that means redness, Holland. I see. <laughs> it was a year, Doctor. And if it doesn't, uh, you'll report at the end of 24, 48, and 72 hours for observation and treatment. All right, you're the first victim, Dr. Ivy. You ready? Just a minute. Let me check. Formula A2, B1, C4, D8. All right, Dr. Foley, let it go. 
Burn? Uh, I'm afraid so. Oh. That scare you, Miss Holland? No. You'll get used to it. Um, no. Go ahead, sir. Ready again, Dr. Ivy. Ready. Oh. Hurt? Not much. Next. How's that, Michael? Better. Uh-huh. Shoot. Ah. I think D8 does it. No burn at all. Yeah? Well, let me make a note of that. Huh? All right, you ready, Miss Holland? Yes, sir. Shoot. Uh, Miss Holland, if, uh, if this is hurting you too much... Michael's was right, sir. One gets used to it. Um, why can't you do hers on my left arm? She's got a very nasty burn there, sir. Are you trying to suggest I want to back out? Oh, no, but Well, I... get this straight. Whatever a sailor can do, a wave can. That's what you think. Dr. Foley. Uh, Michael's, uh, be quiet. Get, get these ointments on your arms. A2 at the bottom and D8 at the top. Well, I'm ready now. Let her rip. <laughs> Well, let's see. Here's the score for D8. Non-irritating, 10 points. Ease of application, 7. Adherence... Don't tell me. I've still got it all over my shirt. <laughs> and drying time, 2. Insulation, 10. Well, that's good. Yeah, removal ease, 3. Comfort when worn, 2. Cost, 5. And availability of materials, 8. Yeah, well, in other words, it's easy to put on and good for burns. Yes, but it's too tacky, it's too sticky, and too slippery. And it picks up dirt. And it sticks to our clothes. And it won't come off. And that means that all ointments are out. They're all too sticky. Doctor. Hmm? How about glove films? Glove films? Yes. Non-oily creams. Oh, you mean one of those bronze or aluminum preparations? Surely. They dry quickly, and they don't smear. All right. Now, supposing a man is shot and some of that metal gets into a surgical wound. Mm. Yeah. Well, there, there must be other glove films, uh, non-metallic ones. No, doctor. Now, listen, we're kidding ourselves. Instead of being nearer the solution, we're farther away than when we started. Perhaps you're right, doctor. There's always a great time lag in science between theory and application. Leonardo da Vinci's airplane was made to fly four centuries later by two brothers on the sand dunes in Kitty Hawk. Someone, some industrial chemist perhaps, will discover the formula you're looking for years hence. It'll be another case of a lucky accident or spilling rubber on the stove or something that just escaped your attention like sulfur drugs discovered three decades before the miraculous healing powers were known. But this involves no world-shaking principle. We're looking for a simple, quick-drying paste that will insulate the faces and hands of fighting men against flash burns. It ought to be easy. Just a matter of trial and error. Trial and error? That's how Ehrlich found his Formula 606, wasn't it? It might just as easily have been number 10 or number 10,000, but it was 606. We haven't time for 605 failures. We haven't time. Pick up that newspaper on the desk in front of you, Dr. Fawley. Another destroyer reported missing. More engagements with the enemy. The boys who went down with those ships have plenty of time. They can wait. Listen, Doctor. <clears throat> Hear that? That was a Jap bomb landing on the deck of the Aaron Ward. You'd better get going, Doctor. You'd better hurry. Formula H24. Ouch! That burns. Throw it out. No insulation. Formula J-17. Why, that didn't hurt at all. Yes, but it won't stay on. Adherence, zero. 
Formula L39. Come on, Michael, stock up. Well, uh, all right, I guess, but I can't get it off. All right, use alcohol. Now for the uh, film glove, M. Formula M42. Fine. I'd say that's pretty close. It won't do it, Craig. Let's try a modification. Formula M70. Well, what do you know? I never felt a thing. Oh, this... This looks like something. Has all the properties. It dries in a minute. Sticks like paint. Comes Come... off with soap and water. And this is it. This is it. Formula M70. It sounds very important, sir, doesn't it? Like a scientific discovery that's really big. Michaels, I don't think this is exactly small. <laughs> Well, that's the story of Formula M70. I don't suppose there was any doubt in your mind as to how it would turn out. Maybe the cannon kept you guessing for a while. You know, two stories are never as ingenious as they might be. And when your heroes are two men who pride themselves on being fighters in the ranks, rather than shining examples, you more or less have to let the story tell itself. The conquest of Flashburn is no more important than dozens of other jobs being done at this moment in the Navy's Medical Research Institute at Bethesda. We chose it because we rather liked Dr. Fawley and Dr. Ivy, and because they were able to perform in weeks an exploration of unknown scientific territory such as men in the past took years or even decades to accomplish. Maybe they did it because they were on the spot and simply had to. Maybe they were just lucky. I leave it to you. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy show. We feature old time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R I L E Y. And Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.